All right, we're beginning a new series. If you want to turn to Daniel chapter one, we'll be in Daniel. Uh, again, the notes are, I think, notes.gatewaypeople.com. Uh, they're on version, but that's the quickest way that takes you right to them. But we're going to begin a series called The Kings of Babylon. And this is something that jumped out at me at Christmas when I was just reading the book of Daniel. There were four kings of Babylon during the exile. The exile is the 70-year time when God took Israel out of the land of Israel and took them captive into the land of Babylon. Now, please hear me because I really want you to hear what my burden is. God was disciplining or correcting his children for something, but he was not punishing them. God does not punish. If you have a version that uses the word punish, it's incorrect. He disciplines, and there's a difference. He doesn't punish us because he already punished his son on the cross for our sin. But he disciplines, the Bible says, as a loving father. Some of us did not have loving discipline growing up, so because of that, we don't understand what that means. Hopefully, you're in a healthy body now. Hopefully, if you've been attending here, you've had someone in your life that has lovingly corrected you in an area and you've walked away feeling adjusted and that you needed that adjustment, but you also felt loved. So that's what God does. So I want you to understand, God took Israel out of the land for 70 years and so many people think he was punishing them. No, he did it for their good because they had not let the land rest every seven years like they were supposed to. And for those of you who are mathematicians, you've already figured out now how long they went. He took them out for 70 years. They missed 70 Sabbaths because every seventh year, you're supposed to let the land rest, and they missed 70 every seven years. So 70 times seven is 490. So they, did, they went 490 years without letting the land rest. Now, just a little question. If you, went, if you did something for 490 years, would you begin to think that you were getting away with it? Not with God. And it's, again, not because of him, it's for your good. Because scientists have told us if you don't let the land rest, it becomes less and less fertile. Israel today could be a barren wilderness if God had not allowed the land to catch up and to rest. You see what I'm saying? So anytime God is adjusting you, he's doing it for your good and for the good of your descendants. That's what you need to know. But during that time when God is adjusting something in your life, Satan is always attacking. So that's how I got the idea for this series is that God was adjusting Israel and yet these four kings, each of these kings, the enemy was trying to bring something in, to put something in Israel so that when they left Babylon, they would actually take some Babylon with them. Are y'all following me? Okay. And so I'm going to show you for each of them. And so it's Nebuchadnezzar's the first, Belshazzar was the second, Darius, and then Cyrus. And Cyrus is a surprise. It's going to be really that's that. I'm, I almost want to preach that one now, but I can't because he was the fourth one, okay? And there was a person who actually God gave as a leader to all four kings, all four of them for seven years because he was a teenager when he went into exile, and that's Daniel. So that's how we have the book of Daniel. 
So we're gonna be talking about that some, that God is still doing something. And one of the things that God is doing, even when he's correcting you, is he's still protecting you and providing for you during that time. Because think about, you. we have two famous stories in Daniel, while they were being corrected by God, where God still protected his people. Very famous, even people who don't go to church know these two stories. Daniel in the lion's den, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. Isn't that amazing? So it, Daniel is actually, it's just a, a really, really cool book, so I'm pretty excited about it. I also wanted to um, say something about this. They were imprisoned, they were in bondage, they were in captivity for 70 years, physically. But God didn't want them to be taken captive spiritually. And that's what the enemy was trying to do. So when I was praying over this, our newest campus, our Cofield campus, God gave me a word for you guys, and that is that you can be in captivity physically, but you don't have to be in bondage spiritually. You can be free spiritually. And he even gave me a scripture. Second Timothy 2, 9, Paul said, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal, but the word of God cannot be chained. So we're gonna talk about it. All right, so the title of today's message is The Seduction of Pride. The attack of the enemy that came through Nebuchadnezzar was pride. By the way, pride is what caused Lucifer to fall. Pride is how Adam and Eve were attacked. Lucifer said, if you eat this, you'll be like God. And Lucifer even attacked Jesus with pride. Of course, it didn't work with Jesus because he said, if you are the son of God. He tried to get him to fall to pride. So pride is one of the first attacks that comes against God's people. So here are three ways that tries, try, pride tries to seduce us. All right, here's number one. Not giving God the glory. You will allow pride a foothold, a stronghold in your life by not giving God the glory. So Daniel chapter one, verse one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now watch this verse carefully. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The Lord gave the king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Why? Because he was disciplining his children and he was going to let the land rest for the future good of his, of his people, of his children, right? But the Lord did this. But Nebuchadnezzar did not give God glory for it. See, that's pride. So let me give you another definition of pride. Pride is not giving God glory for everything you have in your hand. Everything you have in your hand, God put there. And when you begin to think that your intellect or your ability or your smartness or your training or your skill earned it. Now, we do try those things, but, but listen, you gotta remember, you didn't choose your genetics. You didn't choose your quotient of intelligence. You may have improved your intelligence. You may have worked very hard and studied very hard but you didn't choose what IQ you started with and the ability to learn. You didn't choose that. You didn't choose your environment. You didn't choose in which country you were born. You didn't choose any of that. So everything that we have, 
comes from God. Not recognizing this is not giving God the glory. Now again, we work. So I just wanna show you one of my favorite verses, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. And he's talking about other apostles in this context. Then watch what he says. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Okay, this is one of the first scriptures I memorized. I read it to you in the uh, ESV because I just wanted to see the worked harder. The, the New King James that I memorized in says more abundantly. I labored more abundantly. I thought worked harder might help translate a little bit easier. But it's one of the first scriptures I memorized. And here's the reason. I thought to myself, I remember, by God's grace, by God's grace, I've been able to do what I've been able to do. And I thought this years ago. But I've worked very hard. And then I love how Paul ends. But really, it wasn't me that worked. It was God's grace working in me. <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? That's the thing. So let me say it this way. I work very, very hard on sermons. I realize I think the most important thing that God's called me to do is teach people the Word of God. I think that's the most important thing. Teach you the Word of God and teach people around the world the Word of God. Uh, however it goes, I have so many pastors that tell me they preach my, the sermons that I preach. They take the outlines. I kind of do the background study. I'm like the research assistant for thousands of pastors around the world, you know, which is great. But here's my point. I work very, very hard, but I watch God then, God's grace, put his hand on the sermons. And listen, there's nobody more surprised when it's a good sermon than I am. <laughs> I, sometimes even when I say something, like a moment ago I said something, y'all didn't know it, it wasn't in my notes, you thought I wrote it because you think I'm, but I thought, I thought, I just had the thought, just a moment ago I thought, that was good God, that was good, that was really, that was really good. So when you don't give God the glory, that's what Daniel did. So here's what Daniel, here's what I missed, what Nebuchadnezzar did. Here's, our, here's how Daniel gets included in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I'm gonna tell you in a moment, Daniel is his Israeli, his, his Hebrew name. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are actually their Chaldean names, which Chaldea conquered Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was a Chaldean king, and a lot of people don't realize that. Chaldea, by the way, is the, where God called Abraham out of. He was born a Chaldean, and God called him out of there. And that's where the Hebrew nation came from. So, but here's how these young men, these four young men that God uses, here's how uh, God began a process of life. Because Nebuchadnezzar was trying to put pride into their life. Satan was trying to do it through Nebuchadnezzar, okay? Now, we stopped at verse two a moment ago in Daniel one, look at verse three. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Young men in whom there was no blemish, but good looking. I probably would have been taken if I'd been there. <laughs> That's not that funny. I don't think you should have laughed at that. I, think, I thought you, should, you would have said, oh yeah, sure, sure, of course. Gifted in all wisdom, yeah, I probably would have been, yeah. Possessing knowledge and quick to understand, yeah, that's like my resume. All right, <laughs> y'all know I'm joking. Who had ability to serve in the king's palace, watch, and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. 
the language and the literature. Now, I just want you to know that Satan is always trying to teach the next generation a different language and a different literature. Now, I want you to think about it even now. He's changed the meanings of words in our language, and he's trying to tell the next generation that that's not what our founding fathers meant. And our founding fathers did mean for us to be a nation that is, has freedom of religion, not freedom from religion. So that's exactly what he's trying to do. So you can see it right there in Nebuchadnezzar. And then if you look at verses six and seven, you see where they got their names. From, from among the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, it is Michelle, it is a man's name, not Michael, but it is Michelle in this instance. There is one that's translated Michael. It's a little different in the Hebrew. And Azariah. Now you're saying, I don't know who those are. So you'll, that's, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and To them the chief of the units gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Michelle, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I heard one young pastor preached on my shack, your shack, and a bungalow. <laughs> so Nebuchadnezzar then has a dream, and he calls the wise men in, and he says, tell me not only the interpretation of the dream, but tell me the dream which shows the pride that he walked in because he did not recognize the supernatural. He thought, if you're intelligent, you should be able to do this. Intelligence had nothing to do with it. And so they said, well, what you're saying is impossible. So he actually sends out an edict, which many people don't know, for every young man, all these wise men, to be killed. And they go to get Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to kill them. And Daniel said, whoa, hold on. Why are we going to get killed? He said, well, because none of the wise men can tell the king his dream. And Daniel says, well, my God can. So they bring Daniel in front of the king. This is Daniel chapter two now, verse 26. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I've seen and its interpretation? Now watch this, are you able to do this? Are you able to do this? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers, they cannot declare to the king. They can't do it. But, listen to what he says, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. You see, you see the balance? Listen, the balance is what he's saying is, listen, no, God can do it, but he can use me. So, there is a point of what I call false humility. There's a point of saying, there used to be this little expression in the body of Christ years ago, it's all God. It's all God. Well, it's just all God. And it was really false humility. Um, And so I have a friend of mine uh, that you probably remember. He's been here several times to sing. His name is Steve Green. He has many, many number one hits on the radio. And he told me this story one time we were having lunch. He said, I kind of got into that when it was going through the body of Christ of just saying, it's all God, it's all God. And he and I were talking about when people come up and say, like to me after service, they'll say, good sermon. And what I say is, thank you. Because I worked hard on it. I did, I did my best, but God actually anointed it, but I still worked hard. And they said, so, so, I'm, so the correct response is, thank you, not it's all God. Because we did have a part. 
But anyway, Steve sang one night, and when he walked off the platform, this guy said to him, brother, that was good, just like that. And Steve said, well, brother, it was all God. And the guy said, well, it wasn't that good. <laughs> In other words, if it had been all God, it would have really been good. But you had a part, and your part was okay, but God's part was great. All right. So not giving God the glory. Here's number two, seduction of pride. Not rejecting the glory of men. Not rejecting the glory of men because men will try to give you glory. Now, yes, it's okay to honor someone, but there's only one person who gets glory. And we're gonna read in just a moment where he says, I don't share any of it either. I won't share glory with anyone. And that's what Lucifer tried to do was take glory. And that's why he fell from heaven. So Daniel interprets this dream. Part of this dream is about a figure of a man and about it's the kingdom. And he talks about the future kingdoms and he goes all the way down the feet of clay. All right, if you remember the dream. So then Dan, look, watch what Nebuchadnezzar does. So I read you, well, the last verse of Chapter two, it talks about him interpreting the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar puts out uh, an edict to all of Babylon to worship the God of Daniel. That's the end of chapter two. Chapter three, verse one, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, that's 18 inches a cubit, so that's 90 feet. And its width, six cubits, so that's nine feet. So it's nine feet at its base, 90 feet tall. Now, this is a 10 to one ratio. To give you some sort of um, um, analogy, the Washington Monument has a 10 to one ratio as well. It's 555 feet tall with a 55 foot base. Now, again though, it would be six times larger than this, okay? But 90 feet tall, nine feet wide at the base. So many people have said, if this was the, a, a thing, a, an image of Nebuchadnezzar, it would have been a really tall, skinny dude, you know? And, but we don't really know what it was, but most believe it was made of gold, and the image, the dream that he had was, had a gold head, and he said, this is you. So many people think that at the, at the top of this monument was an image of Nebuchadnezzar. You understand what I'm saying? We don't know for sure, but that's what most people think. And that's how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego comes in because Nebuchadnezzar puts out then a command for everyone when they play the music to turn and face this image and bow down and worship. Notice again, immediately, he wants to draw attention to himself. By the way, this happens a lot in scripture. Paul and Barnabas go to this town. There's a crippled man who's been crippled from birth. So it's not like something happened. He was born crippled and he gets healed in Jesus' name. They start bowing down to Paul and Barnabas and saying, the gods have come down to us. And they start giving them Greek names of gods. Paul and Barnabas tear their clothes and said, no, we're just men. Don't worship us. They reject the glory of men. Uh, when the angel is taking John around in heaven and showing him things in chapter 22, the, John says, I turned and I prostrated myself before this angel and this angel said, don't do that because I'm not worthy to be worshiped, only worship God. So there's something you can do 
that allows pride in your life, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have done it. They could have done it. And that is when people started giving glory to them, they could have taken that glory. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, Daniel, by the way, was made ruler under Nebuchadnezzar over all of Babylon, but he never took pride. So he, ba- he builds this big deal. He says, everybody has to bow down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't bow down. They get reported. So he gives them a chance. He brings them in. He says, is it true you're not going to bow down? And they said, yes. And he says, I'll give you one more chance to bow down. Now listen to what he says, Daniel 3.15. But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Now watch the pride. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? He didn't thank God for what God put in his hand, and he didn't thank God for the power that God put in his hands. Daniel 3.19, then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury because they said, we're still not going to bow. And the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. I'll explain to you in a moment how they did that. Uh, well, let me just go out. Let me, I'll tell you now. No, no, no. I'll read, I want to read the next verse and tell you. Daniel 3, 21 and 22. Then these men, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments. It's important to notice they went in with, the, with their clothes on because when they come out, their clothes don't even smell like smoke. And they were cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So let me explain to you about this fire. It was a round hole in the ground. Most believe they found things like this about 20 feet round, and it was about 20 feet deep. So that that's where they could cast people, people that defied the king. It was like a, a, a dictatorship. People who defied the king were cast in this fiery furnace. Yet, going out the side of it was a slope that sloped all the way up to the ground so that every now and then they could walk down into it and clean it out if they needed to, do things, or put stuff in it. And this is how they were cast into it. But they were also, they walked, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked out of the fire. Now, they weren't worried about anybody walking out because once you were cast in, you were going to be killed, you know. So they weren't worried about that. The way they heated it seven times more is they had trees in Babylon at that time that burned hotter than other trees. And they saved those for this. If you remember, a few years ago, we had uh, a fire west of here at Possum Kingdom Lake and the mountain cedars caught on fire. And one of the reasons they couldn't put the fire out like they wanted to was because they burned hotter than normal trees, oak trees or something. So that's, that's the way they did this. So they cast these in and it made the fire so hot that the men casting them in at the mouth of the entrance were burned and, and killed immediately. They were, they were killed. So that's, what, that's why the Bible tells us that, all right? So verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke. And this, the reason is because they're still alive and they're actually walking around in the fire. And saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. Listen to what Nebuchadnezzar says. Look, he answered, I now see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. Remember, they were bound. The only thing, by the way, think about this. 
When the enemy tries to kill you, the only thing that gets burned are the, are the ropes that were holding you bound. Their clothes didn't get burned, but the ropes that were holding them burned up. But they didn't hurt them at all. I see four men loose, walking amidst the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now, so Jesus is in the fire with you, by the way. If you, if you ever go through a fire, Jesus is with you, and you're not going to get burned. Here's what really blew me away as I began studying this. Nebuchadnezzar is not Jewish. He's Chaldean. Yet God actually keeps trying to get through to Nebuchadnezzar. These things keep happening because Nebuchadnezzar puts out a decree after this. The, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are the true, is the true God. And from now on, everyone has to worship him. Well, he'd already done one about the God of Daniel, which was the same God, obviously, okay? But he turns away again. And you're going to see it on the next point. He turns away again. It just blows me away. We talk about our God is the God of the second chance. It's a, it's a wonderful saying, but really he's the God of the second millionth chance. And he does that with all of us, and it's not just his chosen people. Here is a heathen named Nebuchadnezzar. God's protecting his people. Nebuchadnezzar has actually killed some of the exiles and tortured them, and God is still trying to reach him. So I'm telling you, no matter what you've done in your past, no matter how bad you've been, God still loves you. And God is still trying to reach you. I think about this. I think about this because in my own life, I used to be a very prideful person. Very prideful, very arrogant. All of us have dealt with it to some degree, I'm sure. But when I was um, probably in my mid-20s or so, maybe late 20s, somewhere around there, I think mid-20s, um, this will tell you, again, age me a little bit, but um, there was a, a, a fad or a fashion for lizard skin shoes. <laughs> See, some of you just got aged too, because some of you should have went, really? I didn't know that, but you lived through it. All right, so it was like if you, had, if you could afford lizard skin shoes, that was a sign to everybody that you, you, know, you were successful. And so I remember thinking, I wish I could, but I can't. There's no way, you know. Well, fortunately, I had this friend that bought some lizard skin shoes that were too tight for him. So he gave them to me. I started wearing those lizard skin shoes everywhere. I knew when people saw me with those, they thought, now there's a guy that's made it, you know. One Saturday, I go to the car wash, and I wear my lizard skin shoes to the car wash, <laughs> hoping they don't see me get out of my Ford Fairlane 500, by the way, <laughs> and that has a dent in the rear left quarter. But I walk in, and it's one of those where you stand at the window, you know, all the way down, and as soon as you walk in, there's a guy shining shoes. And so I think, I'm going to get my shoes shined and let everybody see how nice my shoes are, you know. So the guy shines my shoes, and then I start walking down this long line where everyone is standing at the window. Everyone is standing at the window watching the cars go through. And they would, when I would walk by, they would turn and immediately look down at my shoes. And then they would watch me as I walked by like this. And I remember thinking... They're looking at how, not, they, that guy must have really shined them well. 
I'm going to have to, when I get to the end, I'm going to have to look down. Well, when I got to the end of the aisle, I looked down. And what I realized is that that guy that shined my shoes had turned my pants legs up like this and forgotten to turn them down. could make a whole nother point here that pride looks silly, doesn't it? Okay, here's the third point. A seduction of pride is not speaking humbly. I had to train myself to speak humbly because I spoke pridefully. You can train yourself. Now, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream in chapter four. And the dream is about him, and the dream is that he's going to actually, God's going to humble him. So, and then he says, in 12 months, this is going to happen. Now watch, watch what happens. And the way God humbles him, most of you know, is he, he became like, he, lost, he went crazy, and he ate grass like a wild beast for seven years. Seven years. That was his punishment. That was his discipline, or punishment, really, because... He wasn't a believer. Daniel 4, verse 29. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. This is Nebuchadnezzar. The king spoke saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Notice the prideful words. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and they shall drive you from men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen seven times, seven years shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and he gives it, that's the implication of he because we're already going back to the most high, to whomever he chooses, that very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. Now, why am I saying it's so important to speak humbly? Because of this scripture. Matthew says, for whatever is in the, for the, when the mouth speaks, it speaks out of the abundance of the heart. So, I saw something this week in this scripture I'd never seen. I'd seen it, but I hadn't seen it. You know how, you know that? Okay, the word abundance. In other words, we all say stupid things, right? We all say prideful things. I've even been a literal, literalist with this verse sometimes, and God's had to correct me on it. Like, Debbie might say something, and she'd say, I, but I didn't mean that. I'd say, yeah, but the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, I'd be, I'd be mad at her. So, so it must be in your heart if it came out your mouth, you know. Okay. So we all say stupid things. We all say prideful things. But what we say in an abundance is what is in an abundance in our heart. That's the key. In other words, we all, we're still, we're all still humans. We all still make mistakes. But if there's an abundance of prideful statements coming out of your mouth, then that needs to tell you, you know, there's an abundance of pride in your heart. And God's going to deal with it. 
He always, always, always humbles the exalt the ones that exalt themselves. Always, that's scripture. Um, we had a guy on our staff who's not on our staff anymore because because of pride, and I couldn't deal with it. I, we tried and tried and tried to deal with it. But he was speaking one time to some pastors who'd come in to learn something that we, some ministry that we do. And he said, he, Pastor Robert told me one time that I'm the most valuable employee he has. What I don't think he thought about was that one of my sons was sitting in the class and had observed several prideful statements from this person. So he went to him afterwards and said, hey, I was just wondering, because that statement doesn't sound like something my dad would say, because he just doesn't say someone's the most valuable. He just doesn't say that. He believes every person is valuable, no matter what their job is around here. So he said, I was just wondering when my dad said it. Of course, the guy gets real flustered then, you know, and he says, well, I don't really remember when he said it. And then he said this, because both of my sons, Josh and James, had, have worked here at the church, and Josh is in Austin now. James still works here. But then he's made this statement. He said, well, he must consider me his most valuable employee because he put both of his sons under me. Well, first of all, I didn't put both of my sons under him because I don't dictate where my sons work on staff. We have 600 on staff. So I don't do that. You know, that's just, they're not under my purview. I have a, a leadership team around me. That's the people I work with. So, the, so I'll just go ahead and tell you. So it was my son, James. If you, if you want to, if you ever want someone to say something straightforwardly to you, um, just go counsel with James, okay? He'll, he can be very straightforward. And he said to, so this guy said, well, he must think I'm the most valuable employee because he put both of his sons under me. And James said, well, he also took both of his sons out from under you, so what does that say about you? But here's what it did. When my son told me about it and told me about other prideful statements, I started listening, and I said to those that had uh, oversight of him, I think there's pride in his heart, and we've got to deal with this because we've got to help him. So we tried and we tried and we couldn't deal with it, and, and now he's not here anymore. Here's the point. If there's an abundance of something in your heart, it's going to come out your mouth. And, when, and the reason I'm telling you this is because if you have a problem speaking pridefully, then you know you don't just have a problem speaking it, you know you have a problem in your heart. And you need to allow God to deal with it. So here is what I love about this story. Nebuchadnezzar, let me show you the end of it. Verse 34, Daniel 4, verse 34. And at the end of the time, seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, watch, lifted my eyes to heaven. And my understanding returned to me immediately. As soon as he turns to God, as soon as he turns to God, God heals him. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? By the way, you notice that he got a pretty good revelation that God's God. <laughs> At the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, and what he means by that is the responsibility that God's given me, I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me now I, Nebuchadnezzar, 
Praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. God restored this prideful man. Now I want to tell you something else. God restored this prideful man. And God will restore you prideful people too. All you got to do is turn your eyes to heaven. That's it. Just turn your eyes to heaven. 